0: to PwC IFRS Talks, your source of all things IFRS. Technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Ruth Preedy. In today's episode, we're going to talk about IFRIC decisions. I used to call them NIFRICs. They're not allowed to be called that anymore. And we are here joined by not only an IFRS technical partner, but also an IFRIC member. Welcome back, Tony DeBell. Thank you. So we're going to talk about IFRIC today, a little bit about how they make decisions, what sort of powers they have, how they interact with the board. Let's start at the beginning. Can you just tell us what the IFRIC is?
1: So, the Interpretations Committee is the interpretive body of the IASB. Uh, We work with the Board in supporting the implementation of IFRS standards, and that means that uh, we respond to questions about implementation of any standard or uh, interpretation submitted by pretty much anybody, and at times we also carry out some, some other work as requested by the Board, for example, considering the annual improvements to IFRSs.
0: And obviously you're a member of the IFRIC. How many members are there and where do they come from? So there are 14
1: members of the committee. And a bit like the board, the the idea
0: is to draw
1: the committee members from a diverse range of backgrounds and geographies. So at the moment we have a user of financial statements. Uh, We have a professor of accounting. Uh, A consultant that runs uh, IFRS implementation or change consulting projects. Five representatives from the global accounting networks. And six representatives from user organisations, so companies that have to apply IFRS.
0: Brilliant. So then when you're making decisions, you're obviously thinking about all perspectives of the financial statements. Okay, perfect. That's really good. So a little bit there. So you, you talked about uh, you're looking at implementation. Mm-hmm. You're obviously also a member of the, T, the revenue TRG. How does it work between you've got the ISB, you have a TRG when the standard first comes out, and then you've got your, the IFRIC. How do you divide and conquer?
1: So the ISB sets the standards. So the ISB is responsible for issuing the international standards and for making changes to those standards, It also has to approve every interpretation that comes out of the Interpretations Committee. The Committee supports the implementation and it supports the Board through, as I said before, answering questions about the the implementation and the adoption of IFRS standards. And it does that in 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 a number of ways. We can issue interpretations, we can propose to the Board a limited scope amendment to a standard or an annual improvement. Or we can issue an agenda decision explaining why something is not taken onto the agenda. So there's a number of things that the committee can do. Transition resource groups are slightly different. Uh, so there have been three transition resource groups so far in connection with revenue, uh, the impairment model in IFRS9 and insurance. And the purpose of a transition resource group is not to set standards. It doesn't do anything that is authoritative, so it doesn't issue standards, doesn't issue interpretations. A Transition Resource Group discusses implementation issues in a public forum and in the end advises the board on whether or not a new standard in specific areas is clear and can be applied. So it's more of um, an advisory group that will discuss implementation issues and it's then for the board to decide whether it wants to do anything about the issues that are discussed by the Transition Resource Group.
0: And the the transition resource group then almost gets closed, doesn't it? Or, after a bit of time.
1: Yeah. So the Good. revenue transition resource group, for example, met six times. Yeah. And I don't think we want me to go.
0: And now you've got a whole uh, field of IFRS fifteen questions coming to the, the ifric instead. Indeed. <laughs> it moves on. Okay. Perfect. So one thing you mentioned there is that you can one of the actions you can take is have an agenda decision. Mm-hmm. What is an educative agenda decision? That's a word I hear at the moment. If I can, I'm proud I've managed to get that word out. <laughs> I was a bit worried <laughs> when I wrote it down. <laughs> so the committee has
1: a number of tools in its toolbox. So as I said before, we get questions from pretty much any constituent about the implementation or interpretation of the, the IFRS standards. And there are a number of things that we can do. And it probably makes sense just to run through the different things that we can do before answering the question directly about agenda decisions. So one of the things the committee can do is to take something onto our agenda and issue an interpretation which follows a formal due process. And an interpretation is typically used where there is something that is not addressed specifically by a standard, but the committee believes we can interpret the principles in the standard or the principles within the IFRS framework as a whole to develop an answer to the question. And a good example of that is uh, the interpretation IFRIC 23 on income tax uncertainties. Not addressed directly by IS 12, but taking the principles in IS 12, we were able to develop the interpretation that will become effective on the 1st of January next year. Another good example is, let's say, IFRIC 12. There is nothing that addresses service concessions, specifically in the framework, but by looking at a number of the standards and the principles in those standards, the committee was able to develop an interpretation that explained how the standards drive the accounting for service concessions. So that's that's one of the tools. We have another tool which is to recommend to the board to make a limited scope amendment to a standard, and we might end up doing that where uh, perhaps the standard gives us a hint about what the right answer is, but there's perhaps not enough there for it to be interpreted, or maybe there is not enough there to be able to say very clearly that this is the answer, and a narrow scope amendment will fix that, and perhaps a good example of that is the, the interaction between IFRS 9 and IS 28, uh, and how you think about uh, testing for impairment interests in associates which one goes first indeed (laughs) we can also recommend to the board an annual improvement Mm. annual improvements are really to address perhaps unintended consequences or oversights Mm. just where perhaps something was missed a consequential amendment was missed to a to a standard or or something like that Uh, and obviously if we do recommend a narrow scope amendment to a standard or an annual improvement then that would go through the board's formal due process so the, the, the final thing that sits in the toolkit is an agenda decision, uh, and an agenda decision is used when the committee decides not to take something onto its agenda, and um, the committee's due process requires that we explain why we have decided not to take something on the agenda, and there are a couple of reasons why we might not take things onto the agenda. Firstly, because the standards themselves provide enough information to be able to answer the question. Secondly, we might say we won't take something onto the agenda because standard setting is unhelpful. So maybe something that is just too narrow, it's only going to answer a question for a very narrow range of constituents. Or maybe it's something that the Board has on its agenda at the moment. And the committee getting out in front of it or doing something that might contradict what the Board does would be unhelpful. So there are circumstances where we decide we're not going to take something onto the agenda and an agenda decision explains the reasons. So this is a very long-winded way way of getting to an educational or an educative agenda decision. I think we use those where uh, we think the, the standards provide enough information to be able to answer the question, but then we include in the agenda decision an explanation of how the standards might be used to answer the question. So, a good recent example of that is I think you mentioned that there have been some revenue questions. The we real had, estate one. Oh, yeah. it was long. I had a read of it
0: the other day. It's like well, you've written out the standard for me. I love it. Um, and then
1: what we did with that, or what we did with, there were, there were three, three real estate related revenue questions, was to explain how the thought process in the standard might be applied to that fact pattern to provide useful information to our constituents, you know, to people who are applying IFRS, to say, look, this is the
0: way that you would think through the model in IFRS fifteen. Now, is it, uh, like, <laughs> it sounds very geeky, but it is brilliant because you literally can see this paragraph. We've interpreted this paragraph. This applies to the fat pattern. So I do think they're very helpful. Good job, Rick. I am going to talk more about agenda decisions sure. in a second. But just as you were talking through those different options, do you spend a long time like debating between, or oh, is this a narrow scope amendment, or shall we just have an agenda decision? Like they're they're quite different things. We do.
1: And I one of the things that, 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 that the committee does consider uh, in connection with every issue that gets submitted to it is what is the most appropriate tool in the toolkit. Uh, and I think one of the one of the things that we should focus on is is using the most appropriate tool for any given set of circumstances. and I think by and large that, that, that the committee does a um, a pretty good job at doing that. and I think we just think through well, what are the criteria uh, in um, the, um, the due process handbook for taking something onto our agenda? Does it meet those criteria? If it's something that doesn't meet those criteria, well, how can we best provide implementation support to constituents and to the IASB, taking into account things like well, is it something that needs an answer quite quickly? Um, that's where agenda decisions can be helpful. They can add clarity or they can eliminate diversity in practice relatively quickly uh, is it something that, that actually well you, you you can build it up through the standards so maybe an, an interpretation is is better in in that set of circumstances so yeah we do spend time debating not only what we think the right answer is but also debating uh, what's the what, what's the best tool to use for for that particular question
0: So on on the agenda decisions, I think they can often be called hidden gap because, you know, you meet, I don't know how many times a year it is now, five or six times a year. There's lots of agenda decisions. And, you know, my job is to effectively keep on top of those. So I roughly know what's going on at the IFRIC day to day. But if you're in business and you're not monitoring the agenda decision all the time, it's very difficult to keep on top of those and you know they don't have transition guidance and how you you know apply them to the business. So uh, I suppose what what can people do to keep on top of them? There's two parts to the
1: question. There's, there's keeping on top of and understanding agenda decisions, uh, and then there's the question of well, what about transition guidance and, yeah. and, and so forth. I think all the board's meetings are Republic. So all of the committee's meetings are in public. We meet at the moment probably four times a year and we have video conferences um, twice a year. Uh, The uh, papers are made public beforehand and the notes of the conclusions reached at the meetings are available about a week or 10 days after the meeting on the ISB's website. So everything is there in public. There is a due process for agenda decisions so uh, we issue what's called a tentative agenda decision after a meeting. The, 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 this is what we propose to say. It's open for comment for 60 days. And then we will re-deliberate and consider, consider what people had to say. So there are a number of ways of, of keeping up to date with it. Obviously, PwC will, in connection with perhaps more significant uh, agenda decisions, will will publish and in brief to Explain the conclusions. Um, the the other place to look at it is is I think if you are looking at the the IASB's published literature, is to use the Green Book of Standards because the Green Book I of Standards publishes uh, or includes the agenda decisions in the relevant spots within each step. That's the Green Book
0: is really helpful. Someone hasn't got the Green Book, I'm a big fan. Mm-hmm. And then on this point of transition and, you know, how to apply them and is the board doing anything to help? We'll see if it help. Uh, there are always two questions
1: around an um, agenda decision. So an agenda decision is explaining the reason why we decided not to take something onto the agenda. It has no formal spot in the hierarchy. Having said that it has no formal spot in the hierarchy, as I explained before, it does provide useful information about the thought process and where the information in the standard might be found to be able to answer the question. So it does provide, as I said before, it provides helpful information, but it has no formal place in the hierarchy. So it's not authoritative uh, in that sense. Not authoritative, but there are many securities regulators around the world who would um, say that companies ought to consider what's in an agenda decision in setting an accounting policy. So what that does, not a formal pass past the hierarchy, but the, some folks might want to consider agenda decisions when, when they're setting an accounting policy, poses the question of, well, is there an effective date and can there be any transition guidance? And the answer to both of those questions is no, because it isn't a formal part of the hierarchy, so it can't have an effective date. It provides useful information about a standard that is already effective or a standard that, that already has an effective date. And again, because it's not a formal part of the hierarchy, it can't have transition guidance, which means if, the, if um, there is some diversity and an agenda decision explains you know, how, the thought process in a way that might lead some people to think, well, yeah, maybe that is the way to apply the standard and maybe that will reduce diversity, there's no mechanism for saying that is anything other than a voluntary change in accounting policy, if a company were to decide to change. And, at the moment, IAS is 8 is pretty clear that voluntary changes in accounting policy are applied retrospectively. So, the, the IASB has pondered this. I think if it's uh, to have accepted that agenda decisions can be a good thing yeah. and they can help to explain the thinking in a the standard, they can help to facilitate consistency uh, in practice, uh, wouldn't it be helpful to make it a little bit easier? for companies to to adopt the thinking in in an agenda decision through a voluntary change in policy. And so the ISB has published proposals to amend IS-8. Uh, There are two key elements to the proposal. Uh, One is is to say that voluntary changes in accounting policy made in, in connection with an agenda decision can be subject to a different threshold. So at the moment, uh, IS-8 says voluntary change in, a po- in accounting policy is applied retrospectively unless it's impractical. Uh, and what the ISB has proposed is that companies consider the costs and the benefits. And to the extent that the costs exceed the benefits, there is no need to apply the voluntary change retrospectively. So for whatever period the costs exceed the benefits, there's no need to apply it retrospectively. So that's a proposal in an exposure draft. Comments close in July and the ISB will re-deliberate. The second feature of it is not something that is in the proposed amendments, but it is in the proposed basis for conclusions, which just makes it clear the Board does not expect entities to apply a change in accounting policy in response to an agenda decision. Immediately. There needs to be an sufficient
0: um, amount of time. A days sufficient days.
1: amount of time to do so. So, <laughs> for example, a, a couple of years ago, there was a, um, an agenda decision in connection with cash pooling uh, that might have changed the way some companies thought about offsetting in cash pooling arrangements. And that appeared very close to the thirtieth of June. Uh, and so I, I, I think what the, the the piece in the basis for conclusions would suggest is there is there's just an acceptance that if a company is going to make a monetary change in policy in response to an agenda decision, that it needs a reasonable amount of time to be able to do so.
0: Yeah we'll leave it over to interpretation to uh, work out what sufficient or reasonable amount of time is <laughs> mm-hmm. that could come back to the, uh, the interpretations committee for you Tony and so I can't believe it Tony I could talk about this all day we're already you know, into about 19 minutes of the podcast I was going to ask one more question in the last minute yep. for these agenda decisions if people are listening and thinking oh my god what's on the current agenda and what do I need to be aware of any mm-hmm. juicy things they should be looking out for so
1: we've uh, we had a meeting in March there were a couple of tentative agenda decisions published coming out of that meeting. There were two issues in connection with financial instruments, the accounting of dual currency bonds and the accounting for load following swaps. Sounds easy. uh, the, (laughs) The tentative agenda decisions both conclude that those subjects are too narrow. So there is the agenda decision or the proposed agenda decision simply says that the issue is not widespread and therefore the committee doesn't propose to take it onto the agenda. So if folks uh, have a different view, then by all means write to the committee. Um, There was a a third tentative agenda decision in connection with um, very short term borrowings and whether a very short term borrowing that turns over rapidly could be considered as part of cash equivalents. Uh, and the committee said uh, no, that uh, bank overdrafts that are repayable on demand um, uh, can be, because the standard is, is specific, um, can in the right circumstances be part of cash equivalents but other short term borrowings cannot. So those three are out for, for comment following the March Interpretations Committee meeting. Uh, looking to the future we've got a couple of things that are that are going to come along. We're going to talk probably in June about um, leases and deferred taxes. So with IFRS 16 coming along on the 1st of January next year, there's a question about the deferred tax implication of recognising an asset for a right to use and a lease liability. Uh, We've also got some some ongoing work thinking about the identification of onerous contracts uh, in IS 37, so with the withdrawal of IS 11, there is no longer guidance specifically in the Revenue Standard about onerous contracts with customers uh, and so the committee is considering making a limited scope amendment to IS-37 or proposing a limited scope amendment to IS-37 to address the identification of onerous contracts and those will be a couple of the things that will be on the agenda for our meeting in, in June. Another item that will be on the agenda is the, the implications of uh, fixed exchange rates and significant hyperinflation. So we've got a range of topics that will yeah. be that, will, that will be discussed at the meeting we've got coming up in June.
0: You have to have a very broad range of technical skills tony lucky they've got you so and we're very lucky so thank you very much for joining us again really interesting podcast to see how how the IFRIC works and what it does what it can do and where to look out for that hidden gap so thank you for joining us please come again soon thanks to everyone for listening i'm your host ruth preedy happy accounting the preceding program was brought to you by price Waterhouse coopers llp This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.